Good morning. Peace be with you. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Mark 5. Um, pretty long passage today. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Um, an amazing Mark, Mark is an interesting gospel because he doesn't give us a whole lot of details uh, in a lot of the circumstances in Jesus' ministry. But this story happens to have a lot of details, this event in the, life, in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, so we're going to read all of it. It's kind of long. You can stay seated. Um, you can follow along on the screen as well. Uh, we're going to start in Mark 5, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside and, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had, possessed, who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Um, when I was in eighth grade, just imagine me not that much smaller and twerpier and all the weird eighth gradeness. Middle schoolers are just, I taught for so many years. They're just, they're just, a, they're their own breed. So like, imagine me eighth grade. I had this Spanish class. It was actually really great because I got a high school credit in eighth grade for Spanish. Um, and I took this class, it was every single day. And I had this really great teacher and she would say this phrase over and over again, like every day, like every single lesson. 
like I would hear it three or four times a class every single day of this class. She would say this phrase, anytime we did vocabulary, verb conjugations, everything. She would say, practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. Every day. By month two of the class, you're like, I'm rolling eyes right now. You know, like, oh, we get it. We get it. Here we go again. By May, we're just like, we, she's just gonna say it. We get it. We understand. Practice makes permanent. Um, I, I'm not fluent in Spanish, so obviously I didn't practice. So like judgment-free, right? Um, but like, it's so interesting that when you say something over and over again, it sticks, whether you want it to or not. There's like a power of redundancy. I think when I think of redundancy, I think of it being unneeded or unsaid. But I think when we hear the same message over and over again, redundancy actually is a sign that we're starting to get something. We're starting to understand. And like, we're getting this picture. And we, we have to remember that the goal of the gospels specifically this story and all the accounts of Jesus's life, they're trying to get you and I to realize something, that Jesus is the real deal. Mark's trying to do that. All the other gospel accounts, they're trying to say Jesus is the real deal. He passes the test in every way that we can. And we've actually, if you've been following along over the last you know, few sermons, you may have heard, picked up on a redundant message. We've, we've actually heard a, a, a thing over and over again and that's about power. Like we talked about a powerful seed at the beginning of Mark four, this seed that would like have a harvest that would be so enormous and big. We saw Jesus's power over a raging powerful storm and he calms it with his voice. And now we see his power over demonic forces in our story today. But I, it's so interesting, power and how it's used, I think it has this amazing ability to reveal. Power has the ability to reveal what a group is like, an institution, particularly even a person, what they're like. You can see it. And in our culture today, I actually think we have a very, very negative view of power. You see it all over our culture. All power is seemingly bad. It, it's actually been the fuel of, of this whole deconstruction movement that we see throughout all of society that's happening right now. It's like power is bad. And there's all these critiques on how it's wielded. And some of them are, I would say most of them are actually kind of valid. Institutions using power for their own personal gain companies, social organizations, and as much as I hate to say it, even churches covering up massive moral failings so that they don't lose their influence. The perpetual problems of racism, sexism, whatever ism you can think of, it's all about power. Political fighting to maintain and gain power over other groups. We see that left and right all constantly. One, one wants power, the other one wants power. And there's constant fighting over it. Individual leaders even abusing the people around them. We, this, there's no doubt that we see the negative results of power and it's how it's used for evil all around us. And it's so interesting because we have a sermon that where we see two powers colliding actually today in our text. Jesus gets off a boat. He had just calmed the storm in the sea and he steps off the boat and now he's stepping into a storm inside of a person, inside of a man. This thousands of demons possess him, this person, and their power has taken over his mind and body completely. 
We see this in Mark 5, verses two through six. Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and he was cutting himself with stones. We see the clear goal of the demonic forces that are consuming this man. He's cutting himself, harming himself physically. He's causing himself other forms of harm. He's clearly in turmoil, screaming and yelling. He's living amongst caves and cemeteries. Like they put, they use those as like tombs. That's where he was living amongst the dead. He was in complete isolation. Everything in his life was unraveling and he was in complete chaos. I, we have to stress this. This is really important. I, I, we have to understand that these are not, this is not some arbitrary made up example that Jesus is just happens to be encountering demons. These are not like fictitious entities that Jesus, and he's not just like saying, oh, I'm gonna use demons as an example. These are very real forces. These are very real and we, they are very real even, and they exist in our world today. One theologian said it better than I could, so I'm just gonna read what he says. Theologian Frederick Bruner said it like this, the violence of some forms of mental illness is well known. Physical illnesses are sometimes attributed to demons in the gospels. What we call mental illnesses usually are, we are still extensively ignorant about the forces at work in mental disorder, those psychiatric medicine gradually penetrates the mystery. Jesus's true humanity argues for his sharing some contemporary views of the disease. He continues, it is not good theology to say Jesus knowingly accommodated himself to his contemporaries and adequate views when he spoke of demons. Nor is it good theology to say that while Jesus spoke of demons, he actually knew they did not exist. To say such things is more psychological wish projection than scientific analysis of the text. As one reads the record, one discovers that Jesus believed in the existence of the demonic. This does not mean that we must call them, call things by the same names. It does not mean that, it does mean that there are probably more morbid forces at work in history and consciousness than we know. Any rational account of life requires the inclusion of the mysterious. Acknowledgement of Jesus' recognition of the demonic is the minimum requirement for a right reading of the exercising text. All that is to say is whether we call it mental illness, addiction, anxiety, relational strife, sickness, broken homes, abusive powers, warring nations, and just evil all around us. We call them different names. We, we refer to them differently, but they are very real present demonic powers. They're real and they create chaos and insecurity in our world. We have to see that. They're present here in Middletown. You don't have to go far to see it. They may even be present in your family. They're present in our world and in our country. They're present everywhere. They are very real. And this is why Paul, the apostle said this to the church in Ephesians six twelve, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces 
of evil in the heavenly places. This makes the account that Jesus restoring the demon possessed man so amazing. This is like, this is like so amazing. Jesus is acknowledging the fact that there are real demonic forces and they have power. And he goes and he steps right into it. He doesn't walk away from it. He walks straight into it, into all of the chaos and demon possession and demonic influence in the darkness. Jesus goes there. He just, he walks right in. And I, maybe you've had this experience in your own life. I don't know your story. Maybe there was darkness in you and all around you. Maybe even you struggle with demons in you, sins and, and darkness that was inside of you, storming. Maybe your life was in chaos and falling apart, but then you heard the good news of Jesus. You heard the gospel. You heard it. Maybe a, maybe a leader shared it with you. Maybe a friend, a parent, a brother, a sister. Maybe it was in a, in a church service like this and you heard it and something became very real to you. It became, you became very aware of the presence of Christ and his presence and his ability to change you. His ability to transform you and make you into a fully restored human like we see in our story. A true human in the image of Jesus. He started a work in you that he's bringing into completion. He's transforming you. And he has the power, what we learn from this text is he has all the power over these demonic forces, over all the darkness. In verses seven through 13, the legion of demons that are living inside this man are left to beg Jesus. They're begging him. They're like, hey, please just send us into those piggies, please. Just like, if we can go in the pigs, we're gonna be all right. Just, just don't send us out of this country. They're like, at least we'll be, be around if we're in the pigs. One commentator said that the pigs possibly ran more than two miles in this herd before they ran off a cliff. Could you imagine that sight? Like he just, he's like, yeah, go in the pigs, that's fine. And then he was like watching them run down the hillside. Eventually they run down off a cliff. What, what the point is, is that Jesus was in full control over this whole situation the entire time, fully in control. And Jesus restores the man and he's in his right mind and he's sitting at Jesus's feet. And another thing that we have to understand here though, is that Jesus in this story is not against power. He's not. Jesus is not against power. In fact, he has all the power as we see in our text, as we've just shown you, he has all of it. The difference is what do you use it for? Powerful, powerful people and powerful things are not a bad thing necessarily. Enneagram eights in here, you're like, yes, finally. You have a seat at the table because we need powerful people. You just have to, what are you using it for? What are you using power for? Jesus doesn't use his power like the demons. The demons are bringing chaos. They're bringing abuse, suffering, isolation, and judgment and shame. That's what they're bringing. But Jesus brings something different. Actually, the whole purpose of his power, he gives it to us. And you may have picked up on it in our liturgy, even in the text today, in verse 19, he tells us the purpose of his power. Mark 5, 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had mercy on you. Theologian James Edwards said it like this, the purpose of the healing of the Gerasene demoniac has with the stilling of the storm on the lake is not simply to leave readers awestruck at Jesus's power, however, but to prompt them to consider how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. This is the theme of our story today. It's all about mercy. Jesus uses his power for mercy. And this is not just an isolated story, account or isolated idea. This is the message of the good news of Christ. This is the whole gospel is about mercy. Matthew 5, 17 says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. James 2, 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. James 5, 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus shows us that great power is required to show mercy. And there are great powers that, afford, that, that oppose it. They're against it. But his power is greater. It's a greater power. And this is, this is the, another amazing thing. Like, we don't sit on the sidelines in this. Actually, you and I have stake in the game. Like, we actually are a part of this. This whole story of power and mercy. This is why John wrote this in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. What is them? The Antichrist, the power of, of demonic forces, all the rulers that are opposing God. You've overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Like, let that sink in. You and I have Christ in us. Although there are powerful, unseen demonic forces in our world, we are assured that God's power is in us. It resides in us. We have power. Paul even goes as far as to say, the spirit of Christ, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you and me. You have power. But this is not a power to wield and crush and judge and shame. It's a power for mercy. And it's... it's I, I, I want to stress to you, mercy is not a sign of weakness. I think a lot of times when we think of like mercy being like, oh, I'm just being passive. No, mercy is very active. It is not a sign of weakness. Jesus actually shows us that it takes great power and it's all from him. But I want to, I want to ask you, like maybe ask yourself this question when you get in the car and you're driving home, maybe at lunch today in your small group, I don't, I don't know, whatever. Maybe ask yourself this question, like, what takes more strength and power to write someone off, to bypass them? Maybe it takes more, does it take more power to like rain down judgment and shame on someone? Or does it show more power or does it take more power for you to show mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it? Or someone who's wronged you? Or somebody hurting? What shows more power? That's why Jesus would say like, hey, if somebody hits you, strikes you on your right cheek, you give me your left. Mercy, it takes great power. So I, I wanna spend the rest of our time. This is like the, the main question is, so what do we do? How do we show mercy? How do we live out of this power that we have from God? 
How do we practice it in our world? And I actually think what's beautiful about this, this text today is I actually think Jesus gives us a model for how to do this. I think Jesus gives us a model of how to practice mercy every day in our life, every day. And, and to build our lives around this. And we can actually learn how to practice a ministry of mercy through, these, through this story. So I've got three things for you I think, I think will be helpful as we process this together. So we're gonna spend the rest of our time here today. So the first thing I think in the practice of mercy that we see is um, we walk into the, the chaos and storms in people's lives with a calm, non-anxious presence. That's our first thing that we can participate in. We actually see this in Mark 5, 6 through 9. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, listen to this, this is amazing. What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. It's so interesting. Commentators are so split on what to do with that. When, like, there's just, it's unclear in the original languages when Jesus walks up to the man and he's like, hey, what's your name? So many people think, oh, he's talking to the demons. But many thought, oh, he's talking to the man. And in the original languages, it's confusing. I like to think that he's walking up to him. He's like, hey, what's your name? In a calm, non-anxious way. I wonder what it'd have been like if he comes up and says, hey, what's your name? And he hears like 2,000 demons responding, Legion. Like, was it like Screamo? Like, like really loud. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> what did it sound like? Maybe it sounded like my kids screaming. I don't know. They're not demonic, I promise. I love them. Um, but like, I don't know. Like, was it all the voices? Was it one voice? Was it his voice? I don't know. I think it's really interesting though, because we can, when we encounter people and we're, that are going in the midst of darkness and going through chaos in their life, all of it comes out. All of the, all of the things that they're experiencing, all the chaos and storms that they're living out, they always come out. All of their anxieties, all of their struggles. We do this all the time. We, all, everything that we're going through in that moment is gonna come out. Like you see it. You see it in your families, you see it with your friends, you see it people you work with. I, I, I wanna like, just try sitting in the room with an addict and tell me you're not gonna see the demons that they're wrestling with. Sit in, sit in a room with somebody suffering from mental illness and tell me you're not gonna see the demons come out, right? They're, they're, gonna, they're gonna wear them and it's tragic. They answer by them. Somebody who's been through trauma, they just like, they, they wear it on their exterior. They don't even have to use words. And these powers are ruling their life. Although it can be really scary, like we can actually just step in with a calm presence, with power from Christ and just sit, listen and ask them, how can I help you? If you really want, want to see how this is done like, or practice this, you just go observe in our mercy ministry both in our food pantry, care portal. And I will, I, from personal experience, 
Like you will see things and you will see darkness and demonic oppression in ways that you would never imagine. I've, I've seen it. Walk into someone's house, delivering something to help them. And you're like, oh, you live in this. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to help. If you want even more stories, ask Megan. She's right here. Catch her after service. Sorry, Megan. But like, you can go and you can be like, hey, well, tell me, like, has, is this real? I'm like, oh yeah, it's real. You'll see those, like the chaos and the demonic powers, but Christ gives us the power to step right into there and be calm. And we have the power to show mercy when people are in their darkest, darkest spaces. And this is why Jesus is constantly around the poor, the sick and demon possessed people in his ministry. And actually I would argue that we should be too. They know that the darkness is very real and they know that the only thing is the mercy from Christ can transform them. That's all they, that's all they can receive. So we come with that non-anxious presence and we're very present with them. The second practice I think that, is really interesting. We don't, act, we don't forcefully give mercy where it is unwanted. You're like, what? This is, this is church, man, it's gospel. You, you're supposed to like go full speed, 100%. No, I don't, I don't think that's the case. We see this in Mark 5, 14 through 17, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. They begged Jesus to leave. I can't stress this enough to you. Like there's actually, there's real cost in showing mercy. It costs a lot. It's going to cost you and I something to live this out. There are the unseen potential things that like in showing mercy, like the overcoming of fears, like these are unseen, like not really super measurable, but, but they're real, like overcoming fears, deflating our egos a little bit extreme honesty that could hurt in, in, a, in a person's life. Like the, all those things are very real when we're trying to show mercy and they're measurable. But I, there's also a very real visible, measurable loss in showing mercy. It costs money. It costs time. It costs resources. It's going to cost us. This is, we don't take offerings here. We don't give to the church just so the church can operate and you have a place here. It's so we can live out of a gospel of mercy. And it costs. The food pantry is not free. It costs. Care portal is not free. It costs. All of these things that we're doing are going to cost us something. And some people are just, I'm, just to be frank about it, the cost is going to be too great. And so we don't force it. We don't. Like some people are like, I'm sure you've heard it, man, what the, the Oaks, what the church is doing, what all these churches and ministries are doing. That's really great. I'm really supportive of you, but no, I don't wanna be a part of it. And the herdsmen begged Jesus to leave. 2,000 pigs would have been a huge economic impact to those herdsmen. One that would have been seemingly unrecoverable. They could not recover from that loss. 
And the idea of potentially more loss with Jesus being there was just too great for them. Again, Edwards says it like this. Here perhaps is the essential moral of the miracle, surpassing even the dilemma of the loss of pigs. In the eyes of Jesus, the rescue and restoration of one person is more important than vast capital assets. Compared to the redemption of a human being, the loss of the swine herds, considerable though it is, it does not rate the mentioning. This is the economy of mercy. 2,000 pigs doesn't even pale in comparison to one redeemed person, just one. And it was totally worth it. We see this from the mouth of Jesus, 99 sheep, terrible shepherding practice. I'm gonna go after the one because that's how important it is, right? It's terrible. That's a terrible, we just heard a parable of a farmer just wasting seed. He's like, don't worry, it's powerful. If you actually, what's interesting is Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this same story and it's right around the same time as the parable of the sower, has the storm being calmed. They're all sandwiched together with our demon possessed man today. Why? Because maybe the demon possessed man was the first seed, who knows? He's like, this is the first application of this parable. You're gonna see it. This guy's gonna hear it and he's gonna go share it with 10 cities. What? Totally worth it. But that simply doesn't make sense to people who don't have eyes for God's kingdom. They don't have eyes for mercy. It's like Jesus doesn't fight him. He actually, he doesn't force it. He just gets on a boat and leaves. That's amazing to me. He, he instructs his disciples to kick the dust off their shoes as they leave a city who doesn't want the gospel so we do the same thing. Like, we'll do it nicely. We won't kick the dust on them. Like, we'll just leave. We'll say, hey, we're not gonna force it. That's fine. There are gonna be people who are, who are suffering and in darkness who want mercy. So we'll go to them. And there's gonna be more that wanna participate. Who knows how God is gonna work in those things? There was one famous pastor who stated this about ministry. He said, the question that we always ask is what, what can we spare? He said, that's the wrong question, but rather what will it take? So what will it take? What will it take? There's great cost, but we don't force it. We don't have to. We do not have to force it. Lastly, the practice, this is, I've experienced this. I'm sure many of you have. Lastly, the practice of mercy will leave us with the deepest desires to be with Jesus. Mark 5, 18 and 19. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He begged him and he, and he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. When we experience the mercy of God, whether we are receiving it or trying to share it with others, it's gonna leave us with a posture of begging to be with Jesus. We're gonna like, there's gonna come a time when it's like the darkness and oppression in the world that you see, the demonic presence is just gonna be so overwhelming. We're gonna be like the apostle John and be like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, please. Just, I wanna experience it. I wanna see the fullness of your mercy when I'm with you. And the more you strive to live a life of mercy, like you're gonna desire a day when it's like when he's here. And that's, that's actually a good thing. The demon-possessed man was told, no, 
you can't come with me. That seems like really harsh when you first read it. When I first read this, I'm like, that I've felt that before. I feel like God's told me no before. Maybe you have something similar in your life. I, it seems really strange, but when you, when you first read it, it's harsh and like, why doesn't he want him there? Like, that seems like the best place for him. But what's beautiful is that Jesus desired something great for him, for him to share mercy where he lived. He goes to Decapolis, just means ten, like a grouping of 10 cities. He goes to 10 cities and tells people about the mercy that God has shown him. And people are marveling. How amazing, how powerful is that? That's kind of where we are. And the story, ultimately it's this, as we close, the story of the demon possessed man is our story. It's your story, it's my story. God in his power has stepped into your life and my life. He has stepped into our life to show us great mercy. And he is calling us, he's calling his church to go into our neighborhoods, our cities, our schools, our workplaces and share mercy that we have received from the Lord so that many will marvel. And who knows what God will do with it? I don't know. If he just saves one person, all of the money, all of the time, all of the spent. If he shows mercy to one, it was all worth it. That's what we're told here. That's what we're told. It's beautiful and you can be a part of it. So as we come to communion today, I, I, wanna, I wanna remind you of, I, I said it earlier, there's, there's a price of, to mercy. There's a cost how we received mercy from God, there's a cost to that. In our story, in our text today, it was like a loss of pigs. And that was very real and it was very big, but it doesn't compare to the loss of a son. God gave himself through his son so that we could receive mercy. And, and his body was broken and it's represented by the bread and his blood was shed, represented by the cup. But the beauty of it is, is Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised in power and he gave his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He, reigned, he, he gave us his power his, through his spirit. His very, his very presence is in us. So we have the power to live lives of mercy. So if you're not a Christian today, um, we ask that you don't take communion, but I, I wanna ask you like, consider what a life of mercy and what the, what the power of mercy could change in you, what Christ is offering you. Is Christ calling you by name like he did? did he, is he asking, what's your name? Is he calling you to be restored out of darkness and chaos? If you are a Christian, like where's Christ, what's stirring in you? What, what is Christ calling you to do in your life and how to live out mercy? Is it ministry? Is it, is it at work? Is it in a, relation, what, in a relationship? What, what is it? Like really think about that as we come to the table today. There's a station here. You rip a piece of bread off, dip it in the cup right here as well. There's gluten-free option on this side. Um, I am so grateful today to have preached to you. It's, it was so humbling. And I hope this is helpful in your walk as a disciple of Christ. Um, would you pray with me? Father, I, I don't know what you're going to do in your power, but I know that you will show mercy for sure. We have the good news of grace that we have been given this free gift of mercy 
so that we can live it out to other people. I'm so grateful that you love us in that way. I'm grateful that um, sometimes you tell us no in places that we want to go or want to do so that you would put us in a place where we can share your mercy in our lives with people around us. I'm so grateful for this church and I pray that your spirit would work in, in the lives of people today. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen.